Hello, Kevin. Hello, how's it going? I'm Alex. It's interesting to me that you think, like, let's do a podcast. Like, so we'll just figure out the recording stuff, right? We'll f- procure the equipment, because we both had to get mics to do this. Um, yeah. So, you know, we invested the money in that. We invested in software to get the stuff recorded, and now we've got backup recordings and stuff happening as well. Um, you know, we figured that out, and we, we go through and we make the show notes and make a list of things to talk about. And then we're like, okay, great. Uh, we've got a podcast, except we really, really don't. Uh, we have to make a website. We have to generate an RSS feed. We have to submit things to iTunes and validate feeds and all this stuff. We have to come up with artwork and obviously theme music. And on some of those, they're just not going to be the best. The theme music was kind of the short straw. <laughs> I, I, I I really like how you're using we here because I did uh, so much work on you know half that stuff. Exactly. Uh, all of it. All of it. I, I had at least 51% of input on all of the things he just mentioned. I wanted uh, to make sure the credit was uh, given where it was due. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we was definitely uh, the right usage there and i i totally totally helped with all of those things and didn't do none of them <laughs> you approved them you were the you were the copy editor I, for all of those things. i gave my unnecessary seal of approval <laughs> but i was just thinking there, i have a i have a probability exam coming up very very soon how likely is it that you'll have that exam <laughs> well it's not a hundred percent because you know there's right. always a possibility something will go wrong but right. i haven't done the math yet okay you might um, want to get on that. Yeah, I might, but I'm, I'm know, just going to assume. Invasion filters and. <laughs> I was actually just doing that for an AI assignment. <laughs> um, anyway, so I have a probability exam coming up, and the 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 exam is worth thirty five percent of the total grade, and you need a seventy to pass. Okay. So even if you had done perfect on the rest of the course. And you bomb this exam, you will fail the the class. Okay. And to pass the the exam, you are allowed to use a cheat sheet. And so the thing is, I was thinking that if on day one of this class, I had taken this exam and was given the cheat sheet I wrote to take this exam, I could probably say, oh, this is the formula I need to use here. And this is the formula I need to use here. And done remarkably well on that exam on the first day and missed all of the class. Uh-huh. And so there is no point in learning this material if you simply can just write a cheat sheet and follow through the steps laid out in the cheat sheet and like pass the class. No, cheat sheets are interesting. I feel like that's something that well, I guess we should probably interview uh, an old person to find out. But I feel like that used to be a never, ever, ever sort of thing. And now it's just kind of become much more common. I mean, it's probably yeah. maybe half of the classes back when I was taking tests um, by by college time. Um, not so much, you know, small percent in high school. But then it's just kind of taken off as a, you know, yeah, just. If I have an exam, 99% of the time I use a cheat that the professor allows a cheat sheet um being a cs major at least half the classes just have final projects um mm. and that's mostly what i've been dealing with this week um but usually if i have an exam um tests quizzes you're allowed like a one at least half of a sheet of paper like one side 
for mm. just notes. You can put whatever you want. If you got the if you got the answer key to the exam early, <laughs> you could literally just write that on the piece of paper and bring it with you. Right. Um which I think makes it really weird to call it learning in some of these cases. <laughs> Because you're really just learning how to write a really good cheat cheat sheet. Well, I mean, the test isn't designed for learning, though, right? I mean, it's a, it's designed for evaluation of previous learning. Yes, but I, I feel like all of that previous learning is void because you're just allowed to use essentially, you know, the two hours of Googling you did about the, the topics list for the class. Well, I mean, presumably the. I mean, uh, uh, I, I mean, I, I know. Yes, this is not always the case, but presumably the professors are actually changing the format of the questions to be less about recall and much more about direct application. So you know, like right. write, uh, you know, write four paragraphs on why you should use uh, depth first search to solve this type of problem, or you know, some you know whatever the thing may be. Of course. The, the number of professors that actually ended up, you know, grading essay questions, um, at least in my experience, professors don't like essay questions, um, at least certainly not in the in the science departments. So, I mean, there are plenty of exceptions to this rule. Um, one that sticks out in my mind was a class I took last year um, in advanced algorithms, um, where most of the exams were write an algorithm and prove its correctness. Um, like that's not something that you can just write the steps down for on a piece of paper. Right. Um, you actually have to be able to design and prove algorithms. Right. Um, which was a fun class. I don't recall ever having to prove an algorithm. Yeah. Proving an uh, algorithm for correctness. There are times that I've tested algorithms. I mean, not, not for academic stuff, but you know, like, okay, let me just run this, you know, 9,000 times and see if it breaks. <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah. And that's that's you know, that's that's proof by uh proof by lack of considering uh, edge cases. Yes. <laughs> that's yeah, that would be the big issue. Um Yeah, you you prove algorithms for correctness. I mean, you should still test them obviously after you've proved that they're correct, but if you if you can hit most of the major cases and you have a mathematical proof of correctness, then you can reasonably assume that it'll pick up on the edge cases. Well, I mean, this does kind of tie back to um, what you were saying about kind of the practicability of a lot of the stuff that's uh, taught or at least evaluated. Because, um, you know, certainly there are some fields of computer science where being able to mathematically prove that your program works is a necessity. Right. Um, but it's not a requirement for most things. Um, even NASA NASA has their own rules for avoiding... See, see how I transitioned there? Yeah? Mm. Um, NASA has their own set of rules for avoiding uh, bugs in their code. Um, they write all of their stuff with, uh, I believe it's C. Yeah, um, I'm sure. But, you know, they've got things about, you know, how to manage dynamic memory allocation and the, the wonderful, I love this one, don't use go-to statements. This is a recent thing <laughs> that they released, by the way. Like, don't use go-to statements. Um for for those who are not particularly computer savvy but uh like our faces and are disappointed right now based on the format of this podcast um the idea of a well, go to no, no, no. they 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 can look at the image the icon oh yeah the icon now. is awesome it has our faces on it anyway yes <laughs> sorry for that interruption um, no but the idea is that um kind of in older programs who used to uh write you know kind of line by line um uh, the various steps of a particular program so you'd say you know print a thing set 
x to 5, you know, set x to x plus 1, and then you may say go to and a particular line of your program. And then it would, you know, jump back whenever it hit that. So it would go ahead and repeat, or you could make it skip steps and things like that. This was eventually, uh, kind of, we, we kind of eventually concluded this was a really, really terrible idea because it's not yeah. very expressive as to how you, you can't, it's very difficult to kind of look at a, at a particular code base and figure out exactly how this program is going to run. Actually, so um, while you've been doing all of this, uh, you know, coding stuff, I uh, took a flight to see a friend over uh, the weekend, and I read, or I should say listened to, a book called Being Digital by yes. uh, Nicholas Negroponte. And this is an older book, um, but I linked you the Amazon link so that you could spend money and, you know, or or just, you know, look it on Wikipedia or not. Um, but the thing that I found really amusing about it is that in the last episode, uh, you talked about how voice was a really, really stupid idea. Yes. Um, the author of this book talks about voice as being the ultimate future of all technology. Once it works, once it works <laughs> I will agree. Um, but basically, he kind of goes on, and it's funny because he's talking about how smartwatches are going to be the biggest, you know, most awesome thing. Um and he describes kind of the idea of a computer as eventually being this sort of butler, um, which I, you know, I could we all know exactly what that's like having a butler. <laughs> I mean, yeah, no, if I could have Jarvis on my wrist, of course, I'd think that would be the ultimate version of a computer. <laughs> like mm -hmm. it. Yes, it is a very logical conclusion. I, my, my, statements were more of as the technology exists now it's it's dumb yeah and that's that's how i feel about notifications <laughs> <laughs> as that sure because it's it's really appealing the way that he kind of you know, sort of paints this picture of how 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 this works is that you you think of a butler as um you know when you explicitly say you know i need a thing then you tell the butler and the butler you know we'll ask clarifying questions if necessary, but then we'll go in and get the thing or, and, you know, communicate with the other house staff because presumably you're a wealthy person living in a mansion. But, you know, we'll <laughs> but so this computer will communicate with other computers and fetch the resources that you need. So if you say, you know, I need uh, lunch, then your watch butler will talk to the uh, refrigerator cook <laughs> and say, coordinate with the with the stove computer and make a meal i don't know i don't know what i'm talking about but um and but then also there's the idea of you know if a butler gets a you know you, you, butler gets a telegram or a letter this was written i don't know 20 years ago 15 <laughs> years ago uh, so yes the butler gets a telegram um they know whether or not you are to be disturbed you don't have to explicitly say i'm you know this is a good time and they can also know based on the contents of the telegram oh this is from you know somebody important i should interrupt them right away or this is spam i'm just going to discard it and yeah, they won't ever have to worry about it that sort of thing that's really really awesome that's not what computers have shaped up to be thus far thus far i mean i can totally see that happening but it's kind of like 20 years ago what we predicted the future to be today is still in our future like there's a certain <laughs> movie that was set in this year that predicted flying cars and 3d holograms and the cubs <laughs> winning the world series none yeah. of that will ever happen <laughs> um yeah i i think flying cars are probably out i think that's a that's not only is it you know 
something that we've just kind of given up on happening in our lifetimes. I think it's to the point where it's like, I, I don't even think that there's a real good reason to do that anymore. Yeah, no. What'll happen, what'll actually happen, I'm predicting, this is this is state-of-the-art predictions from Alex. All right. Um, I feel like the, you need some sort of, like, musical thing for that. Whatever. State-of-the-art predictions. All right, this is going to be playing Crash Corner, but for Alex. And it's not a corner. I want an... <laughs> I want something other than a corner. I want like a trapezoid. Which <laughs> All right. All right, um, Alex's future prediction amphitheater. Go. Yes. There we go. Um we're just going to get faster and faster cars because once you take away the human's ability to drive, so once you say okay, now the computers drive the cars, mm. the computers can think like exponentially faster all of the time. And so you can get cars that'll go like the speed of an airplane driving and they'll have like millimeters of difference between like two different cars at an intersection but it'll but it'll work because the computers will have figured it out and so we'll replace airplanes with hyper fast cars no i totally totally disagree and i'll tell you why um so there's still conductors on the on the mta subways yes for for reasons that i don't really understand probably i mean it's probably like there's a union and you can't fire half <laughs> of a union um like th there's really no reason that the mta that that has to be the case right if the doors don't shut all the way it means there's someone still clogging the doors so open the doors again i mean that's what they do and then they go to the next stop and that's <laughs> what they do you could have a conductor that literally just sits there and is available to take control in emergencies, and it probably would be just fine. Um, and there are, in you know, other locations, completely automated, uh, you know, transit systems. The um, the airport has a has a um, not a you know some sort of air train thing um, mm -hmm. that is fully automated. But, London has one as well, but they don't go at reasonable speeds. The MTA used to go, I believe, at something like 70 miles an hour, and they had to slow it down to 40 miles an hour because people are stupid. Because <laughs> people would, you know, ride on the side of trains or they'd just get clipped by things or they'd walk between the trains and fall off and they realize, well, for some, like the death count went down when they slowed down the trains. There's no technical reason, but people are dumb and people are risk prone. <laughs> and if you had all these cars going ridiculously fast, someone is going to find a way to die because of it. That's what humans are very, very good at doing. Is they can find, they can look at technology, and say, "This is really awesome. I wonder how I can use it, how I can ruin it by dying, so that everyone else has a worse experience." <laughs> wow, this okay. is why we can't have nice things. So, in the hypothetical future where we require everyone to not drive their cars and require all cars to be robotic, mm -hmm. we'll just require everyone to wear exoskeletons. That control their movements yeah. in dangerous situations, <laughs> but the getting in and getting out of cars is still a is still a thing. Teleporters will teleport into the car. <laughs> oh, you can't do that. I mean, are you still one of those people that assumes when you teleport, you are the person who teleported? Oh, are you I will really only that ever travel. No, 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 no. I will only ever travel on wormhole based teleportation. Okay. Well, I mean, this is that teleportation really? Yeah, I would. No, call that's, it that's more just movement. <laughs> <laughs> It's instantaneous movement that looks like teleportation. Right. Yes. I mean, it's 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 observed <laughs> teleportation, but it's really just I walked a shorter distance than you thought I did. <laughs> yes. I walked a foot and went three million miles. Exactly. 
I want to make that song about walking a thousand miles. I would walk five hundred miles. Yes. Yeah. Well, and then you walk five hundred more. So you walk a thousand miles, but you really only took two steps. So it makes it kind of. Yeah. Well, and the weird thing about that song is, that I would walk five hundred miles, and I would walk five hundred more just to be the man who walked. 5,000 miles. I feel like they had a math problem. Wait, no, I th- it says 1,000. It totally says 1,000 no, miles. You, uh, it does. We've, one of us has got to look this up now. Yes. Yes. It it does. It, it does not say 5,000 miles. I've watched the Doctor oh, wow. Who spoof of it so many times. Have you seen it? Where like David Tennant and the whole cast like I have sing. not. Okay, you're that. right. Dang it. I I, okay. I know more about music than Kevin. Victory. <laughs> Honestly, when it comes to most music, that's that's going to be true. I am I'm just gonna ignorant. Blanket. Con- I'm just gonna blanket statement that, and that means you know. Right. Oh, okay. Of, yeah, fair enough. Yeah. I'll, I will. I will. Based I will on one data point, exactly. <laughs> one data point is enough to draw all these conclusions. Yep. I, I, mean, I You will not get an argument from me. Kevin has zero knowledge about music. Alex has 100% knowledge about music. <laughs> so what would be your other uh, predictions for, uh, like, let's say 20 years from now? Because um, I think this book was, you know, early 90s. Um, so, but let's just let's just call it call it 20 years. I mean, I, I suppose I should say the other thing from that book is that um, he talks about the really wonderful thing is that about uh, digital um, is that we're treating bits as bits. Um, that they're not, uh, you know, it's the Marshall McLuhan medium is the message thing is no longer true. That something just because it is in a particular format doesn't make it necessarily distinct. And that eventually um, we'll just transmit information and you can decide if you want to have that as a, a book or an audiobook or a movie or a whatever. Some of that has come true. I'm, you don't get, I mean, we've got things like text to speech. We've got. You know, we, we've got kind of the opposite. Mm-hmm. As far as, like, I actually would like to read this book as a feature film. Like, it's a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> you know. I mean, I could see I could see doing that. Um, it wouldn't be, like, production values, but I could see having, like, 3D models get generated based on mm-hmm. the f- character descriptions and yeah. moving them around set descriptions, assuming it's, you know, well enough described and just maybe making some stuff as it went along. Yeah. Um, but it's going to look like... You know, cheap 3D blender animation. Well, I mean, not necessarily. If you, had, if you had good enough kind of textual analysis, you could really just say, you know, we're going to take all of the information that is there, um, and then if you had some sort of, you know, very very good procedural generation, you're basically like, you know, doing like a Photoshop content to wear fill. <laughs> like, okay, the stuff yeah. that we don't know about, but like, you know, basically you're having something that writes the parts of the film that aren't expressed in the story itself. Yeah. Um. Yeah, you could. And you could probably make it look like a modern video game. So conceivably, right now, you could do a book to, like, video game cutscene bot. Um, I think that would be within the realms of possibility. It would take a large team and a long time, but I could see it being done. That'd be cool. And I'm just trying to think of, like, okay, well, like, you evaluate, you know, okay, there there are four people in dialogue, so we need to have a wide shot here. (laughs) Versus, you know, this is two, so let's go to a medium, should we do over-the-shoulder shots, which is the most, (laughs) they're going back and forth a little too quickly, so we can't have too many cuts, so we should actually do this in wide. Like, oh, this sounds like a lot of fun. Let's let's start that company. (laughs) Okay. Um, Why don't we just write a genetic algorithm and then just 
throw it up on YouTube and have <laughs> look at the likes dislike bar. <laughs> yeah. So genetic algorithms, the uh, the principle behind them is it's it's you know like regular biological evolution in that um, you kind of have a whole bunch of random numbers. Um, so you know a particular instance of a program is just a set of random numbers that ends up generating some sort of output. And then you create, you know, a thousand of them and you go, okay, which of these thousand um, created the best output? And then you take that generation and you say, okay, like maybe let's combine some of the numbers from some of them to create this next generation. Maybe let's, you know, we'll kill off the really bad ones. Maybe we'll let a few pass through the next generation. Maybe we'll add some just, you know, we'll do some random you will kind of do some random mutation and then you just do that over and over until you finally have something that creates really, really good output. The problem with what Alex is describing is that generally you want to do that for like 10,000 copies at a time. Every second. Every gen- every second or so. And then you just let that run for hours and hours and hours until eventually you found one that works really well. If we were going to wait and just say, well, okay, let's put out 10,000 really, really terrible copies of the movie on YouTube <laughs> and figure out which are the best 10 of those <laughs> every second, it, it, it doesn't necessarily scale. But just think of all the statistics YouTube could give about that, like every minute... People upload 12 million years of <laughs> terrible movies to YouTube. Yeah. <laughs> Just oh, imagine man. that commercial. That's, yeah. Well, no, I mean, it's funny. Genetic algorithms are wonderful, wonderful things, but there's a, there's a big problem in that when we're trying to do stuff with kind of it's very very hard to to just kind of quantify like generally when you're doing things like this you're you're using a genetic algorithm to see can we teach a computer to walk or can we teach it to find the highest point on a uh, on a terrain or things There's like that very... where you can after the generation automatically go in and say we know that this result is definitively definitively better than its competitors with things like movies and, you know, even to some extent, um, you know, kind of uh, text-to-speech type of stuff, a lot of those are really based on subjective human judgment, which is really hard to do millions of times a second. <laughs> so there's a very famous online example of um, genetic algorithms. You might see it, like, I've seen it in, like, lobbies of computer science, <laughs> like, computery buildings. Um, and it's a car builder. So you have just like this uneven, randomly generated path. It's just like a line. In, and in 2D, it'll just draw like circles, which are wheels, which will spin, and like squares and triangles and other multidimensional shapes um, or n-gons. And like stick the wheels to them in random locations. Um, and it'll run like 100 cars at once. And the car that gets the furthest, you know, they'll, you know, do some genetic modifications. They'll have the cars breed and then they'll have another 100 cars. And the car that goes the furthest... You know, it's very quantifiable which car went the furthest. Right. Um, and I'm not sure what it's called. Um, That's funny, because I, I swore you were going to talk about Polyworld. Because no. Polyworld is kind of the example that I've always seen. Where basically um, they generate these, uh, these kind of in this, in this little virtual 3D world, they generate these kind of polygon-based shapes. Um, and they eventually, you know, the idea is that they would... Uh, as long as they were able to get close to food, you know, they had these little food pellets that I think were just like little cubes that they rendered. If they oh, were able yeah. to get to them and, and stay 
the nearest thing to them after a certain number of seconds than they were the ones who succeeded. And so you end up with like these really uh, interesting, you know, swimming type of polygons and walking type of polygons. And eventually it turns into these polygons that just like do kind of a, a dive tackle on top of the food to prevent anyone <laughs> else from getting to it. That's awesome. Yeah, it's, um, it's cool. If, you, if you're interested about the car thing, it's called Genetic Cars 2. Um, but no, I mean, it's a really cool idea. And it is, it's interesting. I mean, there is, I, I think also like the, um, a lot of the Mario speed through stuff that you may find on YouTube a lot of that will use genetic algorithms as well. Though there are problems in that, um, I, I think I remember this from somewhere, that um, one of the conditions that they used was how far to the right did Mario get this time, right? Mm. And the problem is sometimes you need to backtrack. So if you evaluate based on that and there's not enough randomness, then you'll never end up with the generation that thinks about backtracking because it, it just doesn't do that. Right, yeah. Um, and anything that does and subsequently dies, you know, like if, if you had to go back and jump, you know, if you, then if, you know, if a generation said, okay, well, let's go as far as the last guy, but then we'll go back and then falls and dies, well, then that one is not going to continue because it's not going to be better than the one that, you know, just, just went and didn't try and go back. Um, so there are some problems with genetic algorithms that if, if there are particular kind of gaps where it's, you know, and I guess it's it's true in real evolution too, right? And that this is kind of considered to be the thing that would disprove evolution as an explanation for the human species is that if there is anything that is not, you know, irreducibly complex, um, I mean, you can't break it down into something that's a really crappy version of the thing, right? Then evolution can't really get there. Um, some people, some people will try and cite the eye as an example that you know half an eye isn't useful. Well, in fact, that's not true. Um, you know, a piece of skin that is slightly sensitive to light gives you a bit of an advantage in terms of knowing if there is We're, light around. Um, <laughs> yeah, and we have found the sun. You know, and we have found you know examples of species that do have you know just slightly photosensitive. Uh, skin, which gives them a slight advantage over their competitors, and eventually that you know over very very small bits will evolve into into an eye. After billions of years yes. of biological evolution, yes. Whereas computers are much 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 faster at that stuff. True, but I don't think we've simulated a human yet. That'd be pretty cool to just let a genetic algorithm run for like a while, <laughs> and then just have it become a human. You run out of computational power. I mean, we can't we can't mimic. A, uh, I think we've we've mimicked a neuron, <laughs> a human no, neuron. Just need to do that a few billion times more. <laughs> exactly. Well, just just a very slow human. You'll, you'll say hello, and then like a year later, you'll say, "Oh, hi." Well, but that's the thing is you want to run thousands of these in a generation and then run thousands of generations of them. So, yes, it takes a while. And and I mean, really, the problem with doing this for is that what we're trying to do is not necessarily say, is this program the best for its environment? We're trying to say, is this program the thing that we wanted? This is the thing that makes the human the most happy. And that's not something that you can really procedurally automate. That's well. yeah. Yes. Is this is this a human on a scale from like one to a billion isn't really a thing. It's right. you, you either are a human or you aren't. Well, like, for example, like there's the Turing test, which is the, the famous thing of if you were typing into a into a chat and you got a response, could you determine if that thing was sent by a bot or a human? And the idea is, well, we've reached A.I., 
where your computers are as smart as us, or, you know, people draw their own conclusions, but, you know, once more than half of the testers are fooled um, in that they can't differentiate between a real person and a bot. Um, you could do that with the genetic algorithm, right? There's the there's the Library of Babel website, which, you know, has, you know, yes. given a random number, I will give you a, you know, a paragraph or whatever. Um, you could basically just have a genetic algorithm that's like, okay, uh We'll have, let's try changing that number every generation and see if the person is more or less confused. But there's not a good way for us to actually evaluate that other than asking the human, which is really, really slow. Yeah. So the Library of Babel is a really interesting thing. In fact, you can go back and choose like any like couple of sentences that Kevin and I have said to each other and search and you'll find those exact sentences have already been written down in the Library of Babel, like before we even started this, um, theoretically have already been written down. It, like in this, there's the because there's a website Library of Babel. Sorry, Suri has decided to get in on this conversation. Oh, okay, what is? Oh, well, I mean, it's relevant to her interests, I suppose. <laughs> yes, it is. I don't know what set her off, um, but there is the website Library of Babel where you could go in. And you know, type in something that we've said, and you will find, a, and it will give you the web page in which that exists. But right. it hasn't. But it's being generated at the time. Oh, it's not all pre-generated. I do not believe. I believe that storage would be a bit prohibitively expensive. Yeah, that's probably true. Hmm. That's that's disappointing. Well, I mean, you. <laughs> I thought someone had taken petabytes of storage and used it to store. Yeah. All possible character combinations of thirty-two hundred characters, I think. Yeah, not not no nope. <laughs> Aw, um, no, I'm I'm like ninety-nine percent sure. Yeah, you're, uh, you, probably like, you're taking right. the probability course. I don't know, but um, <laughs> no, I'm reasonably sure that it is it is generated. I mean, I presumably they cache it once it already exists. People, you know, give me book one. Yeah. yeah, that's probably not being generated on the fly. But if you do search for random string, exists. But yeah, the the idea with the philosophical library of Babel is that you do have this library of th- of everything that has already been written, and just every possible combination of characters. Yes. Um, um, in which case, you know, we could just grab a manual of exactly what the future will look like in twenty years and just read that if we could find it. Yes. And you'd also have to choose it from all of the infinitely, just subtly different versions of the future. Right. And in fact, the very act of choosing the book would then have an influence on the future. I wonder um, if that would make no. it harder or easier. No, because it's already determined. Okay. You, you, already you, would, determined. you would choose the book, but there would already be a book that exists that said that you chose the book. There would also be okay. one that said you didn't. Whether or not it's an accurate book doesn't have any impact <laughs> on whether or not it exists. Only there was an easy way of checking for that. We could predict the future. But there will be a historical textbook that has everything right about the future 20 years from now. And it will also say that George Washington came back to life and was elected president again as a zombie. That sounds there reasonable. There will be a book that says exactly that. That yeah, that's true. Which that, is yeah, just it, it, I don't know. It's enjoyable to think about. So, what we should take away from this conversation is Washington twenty sixteen. <laughs> there we go, Washington twenty sixteen. I'm I'm completely down with that. So what is um so yes we, we've we, 
we've gone off on a bit of a tangent, but uh, what are your other predictions? What's the future in 20 years? In 20 years, I think that I won't know what's going on. <laughs> okay. No, I don't know. Um, it's hard. It's hard to just say paint the picture of 20 years from now, right? I think in 20 years, the Cardinals will win the World Series. <laughs> um, I well, think there will be a World Series in 20 years? Yes. Okay. I, I think there'll be a World Series in 20 years. Okay. Um, I think space travel will be more common. Um, a, you'll have a larger number of people. Like right now, there's like six people in space, right? Yes. Uh, I, it was around six. I think it was up to nine. There's a website like people. How many people how are many in space? People in space right now. Space space right now. Dot com. <laughs> yes. yes. So you can go there right now and find out how many people are in space. Exactly. And if you visit that uh, during the course of all time, it's entirely possible that every number of uh, you you will that every number of potential people in space will will be accurate at some point. <laughs> um, it's like a library of Babel for people in space, given enough time. So I, I can conceive. Of the website glitching out after it gets past 2 billion, rolling back over to negative 2 billion. Right. And I don't think there'll be negative 2 billion people in space. <laughs> that doesn't seem like a conceivable possibility. Well, you never know. It could be people comprised entirely of dark matter. <laughs> Maybe that's what dark matter is. Exactly. Just all the parallel universe people Why are negatively... you listening to me? <laughs> yes, we've solved dark matter. Okay, so so yeah. a lot more space. Well, because twenty years, I think, is probably like the best time frame to try and estimate, right? Because anything that's yes, if, if mm -hmm. you were going to try and predict five years from now, be like, well, Apple will have a lot of new iPhones. <laughs> like, and that's meh. Um, it's true. Batteries will still probably suck. You know, um, you know, thinking more than twenty years out is just uh, who, who knows. But twenty years think... seems like probably around the right. No, you're right. Thing to to try and estimate. Um, I think solar technology mm -hmm. will continue as very steady and slow improvement. Mm -hmm. um, battery technology, I'm not so sure of. Um, I think a lot of what's going to happen with batteries is going to depend on just like radical improvements. Right. Um, which who knows if those will happen. The we'll, we'll see probably advances in other like weird storage methods. So like I've seen storage methods proposed where you pump water uphill all day. Oh, yeah. Um, and then when the sun goes away, you let the water go down a dam, yep. which I think is a pretty cool idea. Um, and that can be more efficient than batteries on large scales and a lot cheaper to implement. I think there was some question about that just in terms of that the, the loss, the, the, the erosion and stuff eventually makes that kind of null out. I, I could be completely oh, wrong, though. Hmm. I mean, I guess on, longer, on larger timescales, I could see that. No, I hadn't considered the erosion. But if we had, you know, if we had good enough transmission, um, which you can do with kind of very directed, uh, uh, you know, power, it's always day somewhere, right? Right. I mean, if I was gonna, if I was gonna open an evil, like an evil guy corporation, <laughs> I would totally go for the um, 
solar panels in space idea and then right. just used like extremely inefficient microwaves just to beam it down to earth and right. not care about where the errant <laughs> microwaves go well but i mean you can think of like there's a whole like big all of the not coast part of australia like nobody's there let's make that a huge solar farm and then let's take like a bit of wyoming or something i don't know uh, you probably wouldn't even <laughs> well yeah yeah a bit of wyoming you take two equally sized squares just on opposite sides of the earth exactly why don't you just float them out on the ocean, to be honest? Um, yeah. Yeah, okay, well, yeah, that's Might. fair. I mean, it's more likely to sink than in Wyoming, but who knows? Maybe Wyoming will turn into quicksand. We don't know. It's entirely possible. <laughs> <laughs> um, oh, but Solar panels, so power technology will probably see a lot of growth over the next 20 years, simply because there's a lot of political demand for it. Mm. I mean, in, you know, in my opinion, rightly so. Um, Google Glass will probably have a good version in 20 years. <laughs> um, I mean, didn't they shut down? Or was no. it a recall in anticipation of the new one? There is, there hasn't been a recall as far as I'm aware. I mean, well, um, I mean, they stopped they selling, stopped selling yeah. them. They stopped selling them like a year ago. Um, they did a public trial, then they stopped selling them, um, and then they've announced they're working on a business version. Because, like, that was one of the big <laughs> things that happened. Was that a lot of businesses were like, oh, I could use this to do such and such and such for this very specific task. Uh-huh. Um, and so they're making a business version of Google Glass. Okay, see, this seems, it seems really stupid to me because, to me... The Google the problem with Google Glass was not business environment. Like business people can get away with wearing these stupid Bluetooth dongles on their ear, and that's totally fine. In a business setting, you could wear Google Glass, and people would be like, "He's an important business guy." Like you can't walk around in right. public with the Google that's why Glass. Making- that's the problem. So they should make like a here's Google Glass that doesn't make you look like an idiot <laughs> outside of the office. And I think that is. <laughs> their plan like they haven't they said that we're not giving up on consumer but we're going to focus on business right now mm-hmm. so if they can turn it like they can develop the technology in business then they can eventually figure out how to make it not look like you're a creep or a weirdo <laughs> or a, a cyborg right although I, I wouldn't mind looking like a cyborg um because you can imagine like having google glass in like a warehouse and you can say oh we have a new order and just have it pop up on the little display and then he would you know, the the employer, the employee in the warehouse would know, I need to walk over here and get this. See, that of course, until they're replaced with robots. That why do we have people working in warehouses in 20 years? Yes. <laughs> Obviously, you know, in, in 20 years, Amazon will literally just be a hive of flying robots. That's all Amazon will be. Well, actually, there's a there's a question that I sort of have for, and I don't know if it's necessarily 20 years or maybe a little bit longer than that, but... As, as far as just kind of figuring out whether tr- where the trends go, um, is I feel like there are kind of two options for how technology uh, continues. And one is that we move less and we have um, more integrated personal devices. You know, when people are looking at kind of augmented reality and stuff, there are kind of two ways to go about it. One is, you know, wear Google Glass. And the other one is make all of your walls LCD screens. Right? So the idea is that either you make the environment digital... Or you make kind of yourself digital and have it project things on the environment. It seems like one of those is way more cost efficient, but it's probably also socially harder to latch onto. The idea of, you know, if, you know, walking around in, you know, a VR suit all the time 
is cheaper than making everything, you know, everything, making every brick of a building, you know, a, a touch interface. <laughs> but, <laughs> or we just wait till uh, we get, you know, the matter antimatter transporter things, and then we build holodecks because that's the that's that's the use case for like non wormhole based transporters is building holodecks. Well, but even then, why is a holodeck more efficient than <clears throat> like if you're going into a holodeck anyway? Why wouldn't you just get into a VR bodysuit that's able to simulate a holodeck? Well, see, I never, I never understood why the holodeck was contained to the the, the holodeck because they're literally just using the transporter. Right. So why couldn't you just be tracking your location and just transport matter to where you're about to step, and then like in a shell around you? Well, but Instead was, of having to go to a space. I think the premise was that it was not just the... I mean, the, yes, you could do that, but there's also... But I believe... I mean, it's kind of like real video games now, is that you have a skybox, right? There's just the faraway True. stuff where parallax isn't going to matter. I, like, I, I believe that the, the premise of the holodeck was that all the up-close stuff was legitimate physical stuff okay. that was transported in. So you, Everything so else was just kind of emitted uh, hologrammy type stuff. So you're cutting down on the processing power and the amount of stuff you have to transport by containing the space okay right. well i, I mean because i mean if you think about it that's a um that if you if you're in a holodeck and you go far away that becomes that's an awful lot of matter and an awful lot of space to have to worry but about. you could transmit the matter behind you if it's fast enough like oh, so just, you're not going to draw <laughs> well no but the problem is you have multiple people in the holodeck yeah that gets that, spaced that, out that, if that becomes a big problem. And and you could stand back to back and you'd have to right. draw a lot more. Well, and the idea also is that, you know, when they're very far apart in the holodeck because they're using kind of force fields, uh, 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 what's, the, what's that exercise machine? I, I don't know. Like, like a force field style treadmill. A tre that, yes. No, that, that effectively keeps them in the same a place. Stairmaster? I mean, well, <laughs> um, and then kind of, the, yeah, they end up, you know, transporting you know, the kind of these screens that, you know, they project kind of skyboxes onto to hide the fact that the person is standing, you know, somewhat next to them. Right. Um, I'm, I'm sure, actually, that'd be, uh, you know, I, I'm not that I would ever want to be a QA tester, uh, but going in <laughs> and just trying to find ways to break the holodeck. <laughs> well, you know, you stand you there might... and you stand there and now I'm going to throw this javelin. It <laughs> sounds like a fantastic job, to be honest. <laughs> like, that's the... If if we make it to the future and people start working, that's the that's the thing I want to do. It's just I'm going to beta test the holodeck. I, I'm not sure you'd last more than a week. Well, <laughs> not because you wouldn't be having fun, but because you wouldn't live. What a way to go! I still like Death by Black Hole better. Uh, well, yeah. Well, <laughs> just because there's a chance, however slight, although I'm taking probability, so I can say this: that you'll actually wind up in fourth dimensional space and be able to time travel. But there's not, though. <laughs> I there's, saw Interstellar. Yeah, there's there's sure there no is. chance. So the problem is that when you get close enough that the parts of your body entering are entering at such different rates. Yes, it's possible that each of your molecules could end up in the fourth direction, <laughs> fourth, fourth dimension. <laughs> but no, you as a person, you as any sort of organization of molecules, no. Like the individual right. components, <laughs> like oh, this is Alex's hydrogen atom two hundred forty-seven. Isn't that cool? <laughs> he made it. Well, Yay! If if light can't escape a black hole, can your soul? 
Yeah, okay. <laughs> if you're not going to take this seriously, Alex. I... <laughs> no, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> We're talking about black holes. I'm not, I'm not sure anyone understands black holes. Well, no, I'm but pretty I mean, just sure. the, 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 the square law of gravity just yes. like no spaghettification it's yeah it's it's too big at that point that literally every atom has such a different amount of gravity applied to it that there's no way to do that if you had some sort of like anti-grav that was also just uh, all that was also exponential based on uh, i don't know you could yeah you could cancel Ooh. it out if you had two black holes that were colliding and you were right in the middle <laughs> It is possible that they could cancel out their effects on you at the same scale if you're exactly in the middle. <laughs> so then you have to worry about like the bazillion degree like nuclear. No, because like... you're in the black hole at that point. So if there is a fourth dimension, you're already there. You're fine. Of course, True. it's possible that half of you is in one, half is in the other. But it will. <laughs> we should start running some simulations on this. Exactly. So, so let's way... say you have a black hole handy. We can. Run a genetic algorithm. If you got like a thousand Black of them, holes. we'll just pick the ten. We'll just we'll just use ants. So we'll <laughs> see if the ants wind up in the fourth dimension. <laughs> just tiny black holes. That's brilliant. Wait, no, 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 Alex, stop! I think that one came back. No, he's. <laughs> We'd have to like dye them with different food coloring. <laughs> it's like, oh, the blue ant came back. Oh my god! All right. What if we look at like the testing sample and we have like two yellow ants, we'll know that one traveled back in time. Exactly. Um, and we can see if they're older, right? Right. Compare the see if they see if the grandfather paradox applies. You can carbon date the ants. <laughs> oh man. Well, I mean, I mean, what is the lifespan of the average ant? I'm I have no idea. You know what we should send into black holes is tardigrades. <laughs> tardigrades are freaking awesome. And also, th- like if anybody's going to survive a black hole, like tardigrades, I'm I'm pretty sure that tardigrades already kind of like rule the land inside whatever is in a black hole. <laughs> Can you kill one? Are they actually physically capable of dying? <laughs> is the question. Uh tardigrades? No, I mean, yes. Actually, I mean, they die fairly easily. If you don't ever revive them, they're they're gonna stay dead. Um, Is something dead if it's revivable? Um. Uh. In, in what se- I. Mm, Is it truly you, dead? You give me your revivable. answer first. <laughs> So I'm going to say no. If, if you can bring something back, it's not gone. It's so, not so Walt dead. Disney's alive? Yeah. <laughs> well, granted, we can't. Actually, well, no. By your definition, he's dead. And in the future, when we have the technology but have not yet woken him up, then he's alive again. True. Okay. We can go with that. So, But, but tardigrades can always be woken up. But we that have makes the your life or death status based on... That it makes a contingent of the knowledge of some other idiot. <laughs> yes, it it does. I'm, the universe isn't always pretty. That's crazy, man. <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I believe the tardigrades do die of old age and kind of random whatever. Um, oh, they can't regenerate. What's that? I can't regenerate. Um, no, they 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 reproduce sexually. 
Yeah, they don't explode into a ball of fire and come back. <laughs> that's surprising. Oh, man. Peter Capaldi is a tardigrade. That's... <laughs> All right. <laughs> this is... This is brilliant. We have we have a, if if Doctor Who ever goes off the air, we have a replacement. Okay, so I've got a now. Now we brought this up. Peter Capaldi. I liked Peter. Wow. <laughs> wow. Wow. Um. The, we've we've just, had him for more than a year. I know. Well, and it's interesting to me that now, uh, like it's almost like this season. Obviously, we're a no spoilers show because I actually got a comment. It's like, oh, I was going to listen, but then you mentioned The Martian. I was like, oh, no, we're not. I promise we're not spoiling. Um, so, yeah, we will be a no spoilers show. Um, but it feels like this season they're trying to actually, it feels like this is the first season with a new doctor and that they're trying to like invent a new character and introduce a new character because um, mm. they're really just yeah. going in a different direction with, with this one. Um, like, do you know what I mean? Is it like his personality Absolutely. is very different? No, yeah, you're 100% right. It it felt like, and they, I think they did this very deliberately, um, especially if you looked at, like, the first episode with Peter Capaldi. Mm. Um, like, there was very, like, no, he's the same doctor. Nothing, Nothing's really changed. It's all, it's all okay. Mm. Everything's all right. Um, and then they did that kind of for a season. And now they're like, here's where he's different. See, I feel like... I, mm. No, I see. I feel like in this, in the, in the first, in his first season, it was very much a we're getting back to serious, and this is a deep guy, and he's and he's got good acting chops and like hints of Eccleston in there, and yeah, and, like I felt like they were really trying, not in the first episode, but like throughout that that season, they were really trying to introduce this character as kind of a doctor with more gravitas, and now they're doing a different thing, which I like just as well. But it feels like it feels like this season is like a. Uh, you know, new actors first season as well in terms of they're just saying, let's kind of go into left field and, and let this character really change. Yeah, no, I, I see. I did I did see the season progress, like slowly change him. But I do think it, it sort of did go full out when this new season came back. Mm-hmm. So I, I think the original season, they were, they went out for a test drive and they were they're a little cautious around the corners and now they're mm. really just pedal to the metal. Mm. Um, now that they've sort of established him and said, yes, he is the doctor because he is a lot older than the previous one. Um, right. And I, I think they were trying to be very careful not to scare off their younger viewership. Yes. Um, yeah. To, it's just kind of the point where it, it kind of did hurt his first season, um, in my opinion. Uh, especially, I, I was, I was not as big a fan as the of the first episode as I might have been. Had mm. certain things, if you've seen it, had certain things not happened, and, uh, yeah, the this, this the show was kind of stolen from him just as he got it in that first episode, and I was not a fan of that. Yeah, no, but I think yeah, the first episode I was I was not a huge fan of, but I did think um I really liked kind of this morally ambiguous, very amazing monologue giving actor. Um It's weird because they did kind of cut down on the number of monologues that he gives. He does give really good monologues, but I think the quantity has decreased. The quality's gone up. Yeah. Um, I think, and well, and that's one of the things that I'm a little bit nervous about with this season is I feel like they're, 
they're trying to make him more zany in a way that is unique to him. But I'm like, you're such a good, like, Patrick Stewart-y type of guy. <laughs> just, just let him do that. He's so good at it. Yeah. No, I agree. I love the monologues. More monologues, please. Right. More monologues and more two-parters. Uh, really? Right, you, you don't like two-parters? I, it, it's... No. Hmm. It, occasionally, I will really enjoy a two-parter. Um, generally, I, I'm not a fan because it's very, very difficult to pace them. Um, hmm. It either feels like they end up stretching. I don't think, for the, the, the most recent one, I don't think that was really a huge issue. Um, well, there have been two two-parters this season. What did you think of both right. of them in terms of pacing? It was, I mean, it was, it was mixed. Um, I thought, I think the two-parters work fairly well when they're really telling two different stories that are somewhat connected. I think the second two-parter of the season was probably closer to that. Yes, Um, 100%. But generally speaking, it feels like, uh, yeah, like the, the, the opener for this season, it felt like really, okay, we've just got 20 minutes of exposition and, um, CGI budget. For, for yeah. CGI budget for like delivering very obscure conversations, like it's not even it's not like oh we've got to have like an explosion here. It's a eh, we had some CGI folks oh, no. who weren't doing anything, so we figured we've got these two people talking. Why have them do that in a boring place when they could do that in some crazy place? We've got the CGI budget for it. Let's have these rather tedious conversations in really fancy places. Like it wasn't that it necessarily contributed to the scene. I mean, it was visually nice to look at, but it felt like the story pacing was really problematic. And I feel like that's going to be the case with a lot of two-parters just because it's really, really hard to do it well. Um, yeah. And just selfishly, I really don't like uh, the, I really don't like the idea of cliffhangers because when it's Doctor Who, cliffhangers don't hold a lot of weight. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, yeah. <laughs> like, Yes, everyone died and the TARDIS exploded. Exactly. That's, that's <laughs> clearly going to be the new canon. Right. Um, we're going to be starring this rock that we found. <laughs> I, I'm curious, how much of like classic Doctor Who have you seen? I'm trying to work my way through the first Doctor. It's really hard. So you've only seen the first Doctor then? You haven't seen like any of the other Doctors? I am very rigid about watching things in order. Okay. So, yeah. The way I did it, because I tried to, I tried to start on the first Doctor as well, and I, I just couldn't. So I know exactly <laughs> what you're going through. Um, what I did was I jumped forward to the first episode of the third Doctor, because mm. um, that's in color, and you can actually see what's going on. I don't. Oh, that's no. That's there should be a word for that. This like like there's I guess color chauvinism. Like you, you know what I mean. That's not the word, but there's I'm totally fine with black and white. I like a lot of black and white stuff. It's just the the pacing is so bad. Yeah. And it, the delivery is um, off. And it astounds me because I think, I was like, okay, I've got to lower my standards. This is when, like, TV was this crazy new thing. Then I realized, like, yeah, this was right around the same time they were doing the first Star Trek. And, yes, the first yeah. Star Trek was terrible. But in comparison, like, oh, my God. Well, <laughs> you have to think of what it was trying to be. Star Trek was trying to be, like, primetime entertainment, whereas Doctor Who was trying to be a children's educational program. Yes, but still, like these were stage trained actors. I'm like, use yeah. those skills. Come on. <laughs> anyway, I just I chose 
the the way I was watching the original episodes, I literally couldn't see anything that was happening uh-huh. because they were very low quality copies of black and white footage. So I went, okay, I'm going to watch it this way. I'm going to jump forward to color where I can at least see what's happening. Uh-huh. Uh, oh no, they're watched... running toward the green thing. <laughs> yeah, like <laughs> I know I can tell the green from like the slightly gray and the not so slightly gray. Right. Right. Um, but so I. I went and I watched Forge from the third Doctor, and then I went back and I watched the first and second Doctors. Oh, okay. Um, and, I mean, because obviously, like, you, Doctor Who doesn't really change. Like, it's very much the same show it was when it started. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, it's hard to, and like, with the same character, like, not quite the same characters, but the ba- same basic characters. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I didn't have to worry about, like, spoilers, he's going to become a different doctor. Like, watching it in order wasn't really a, a huge thing right. at the time. I mean, I, I can totally respect, like, there are things I will not watch out of order. Well, and um, for a long time, I, I didn't start watching the new Doctor Who because I hadn't watched the old Doctor Who. And then, I, I yeah, I, I broke that one. <laughs> okay. That, that, that's good. I should say, the other reason that I really, um, that I'm not a fan of two-parters is that... I really, really like bottle episodes. Hmm. Um, kind of across a lot of different shows, I find that bottle episodes are really, really well done because you know they're you know we've got no budget, we've got no sets, we've got no extras. What are we going to do? We're actually going to have to pay the writers a living wage and <laughs> let them write something really amazing. And, I'm, and is... I'm just like, oh, I end up loving this so much. <laughs> the sad thing is, Doctor Who can do a bottle episode where. It costs way more than a regular episode <laughs> because the bottle is the TARDIS. Well, right. Um, which explodes about as much as, as Star Trek consoles. <laughs> yes, it does. Um, all the time. The, well, and, and, and not even, I, I think with Doctor Who, I, I'm thinking back to like the, um, just the Davies kind of one-off episodes. So these weren't necessarily bottle episodes, but just like completely, like no, uh, no character arc, no long story arc. Just like this is a one-off adventure that is really cool. And I feel like yeah. part of the problem with these two-parters is that there's a lot of, you know, let's add in this, this exposition-y stuff, let's play with the characters, let's do a lot of that. And that's great, but I want just the candy episodes every so often. And so, like, the no. idea that there are a ton and ton of two-parters here, it makes me a little nervous. Yeah. I, I, one thing I really liked about Davis um, and what he did in his seasons was that there wasn't this, like, ooh, what, what are we building to every episode? Right. Like, he, would, he did have, like, an overarching theme to the season, but it was like, you might see a poster in the background. Right. I mean, it was very Joss Whedon, really. Yes. Um, I yes. mean, if you think about, you know, random Buffy or Angel episodes, it really is, it's an episodic uh, show. There's you know, the, the bad thing of this episode, and it could be like a completely out of the blue thing that has, you know, no connection. And yeah, you may throw in some hints as to, you know, what you're building up to. And then the last few episodes are dedicated to, you know, either, either you're the build up and conclusion right. of that story. Um, right. Moffat doesn't I, do that. <laughs> Um, he did it a little bit in his first season. In season five, it was more subtle um, than it is now. Mm. It was still way more like 
in your face than Davis ever did it. Like everyone is like, oh, the the, the, the terrible thing is happening. It's coming. The terrible thing is coming. Mm -hmm. Eventually it's going to be here. Oh, it's coming. (laughs) Oh, it's on the backside of the refrigerator. It's it's here. Like, well, I think that's one of the things that I miss about the Dr. Light episodes. And I think it's one of the reasons that Blink was was so popular with people is that it really is this self-contained, wonderful story that doesn't really need context. Right. And I think that's one of the biggest problems with Doctor Who, like, even especially in this season, like, there's so much, like, back lore that they pulled on for, like, even the season <laughs> opener. Yeah. And, like, and back lore that, that really has to pull back to before the new Doctor Who as well. Well, yes. There were, I'm, I've, I've seen most, if not all, of the, like, Doctor Who that we've actually have, because there's, like, lost episodes and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, so there were, but there were tons of things in that, that especially this, this opener of the season that I'm sure just you didn't get having not seen like, oh, I, those episodes. I Google lots of stuff. <laughs> yeah, right. I'm sure you do. I mean, there's, there's blogs that like document all the things right. that were in that, that were like, oh, you should have caught this. Right. Um, but it, it's so like not self-contained that it literally spans like two decades, two, three decades worth of lore now. Right. Like, it, it's just it growing. Um, I think that's because Moffat is more of a fan, was more of a fan of Doctor Who than Davis was. Like, Moffat was, grew up as a fanboy. Right. More than Davis did. Like, Davis was a fan. Don't get me wrong. But, you know, Moffat would have been the president of his Doctor Who fan. <laughs> uh, it's, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to be done with Moffat. <laughs> yes I, you know I, he's had he's had his tenure um, he's done some cool things but I, I, I'm ready for something new especially with this whole oh I may be busy working on other stuff so we may just not make Doctor Who next year yes like, um no you know you know there's another option <laughs> yes <laughs> there's a there's a middle path here that uh, you might want to consider <laughs> that, that that yeah no that I, I'm not ready to believe that yet. I'm not ready to get believe it, and therefore I'm not ready to get angry about that yet. But, yeah, no, I mean, we'll see what happens. But I, I really would love to see kind of more of those individual things that don't require a ton of context. But I think, I think um, it's, and it, and it doesn't really matter what the show is. Um, I really love, you know, if Breaking Bad had a random episode where, like, they all go to the beach... <laughs> And it's about the time at the beach. I'd find that fascinating and interesting, even though it has like nothing to do with the overarching storyline. It's a wonderful just kind of break where you can kind of play with the character, put them in a weird situation, and just enjoy it. Um, yeah. That kind of relieves the tension of, of something that is um, just kind of a very long drama playing out. So I want to talk about... I, I wrote down that we should talk about USB cables, and you wrote that Thunderbolt is better. Uh, defend yourself. <laughs> okay, so Thunderbolt... Is this, if you don't know, um, it's a standard put out by Intel. Um, so at un- this point, unfortunately, it's only available on Intel computers, which I think is somewhat hampering its adoption. Um, it's basically a high-speed connection directly to your CPU um, over PCI lanes, which... Uh, back I love how your explanation of this relatively simple thing has made it more technical. <laughs> yes. Like, and just in case you're not aware... Of what a Thunderbolt cable is. Let me talk about the... Let's talk about the hardware bus. <laughs> yes. Okay. It's just a generic, really high-speed connection to your computer. So, 
you can send basically whatever you want over this port directly to the processor and like the memory and all the stuff of another computer. Right. Um, but it's so, almost entirely just Apple devices. Almost. Um, there are plenty. There are a good handful of <laughs> Windows computers. I would actually plenty argue that you have to sort of walk that one back. <laughs> okay. Okay. I would actually argue there are more Windows devices that have Thunderbolt ports than there are Mac devices, simply because there are a small number of Mac devices and a large number of computer manufacturers. Yeah, but the. the I mean, the percentage-wise, I mean, but, you know, yeah. like, but I, obviously, the there's also the the thing about phones. Um, the thing about phones, it, you know, if you if you have an iPhone, you're using a Thunderbolt device. If you have a recent iPhone, you're using a Thunderbolt device. No, um, Thunderbolt, you're using Lightning. Um, oh, I'm sorry. Oh man, now I feel really dumb. Yeah, that's that's just that's just USB two. That's so slow. Right. Yeah. No. Yeah, people get those confused. It's terrible naming on. Oh Apple's man, part. now I'm all con- now I have to like Google to make sure I'm not going to talk like an idiot. Oh my god, <laughs> I I have, I have to get see a picture of a Thunderbolt cable and make sure I haven't been thinking about the wrong thing my entire life. It looks, it looks like a mini Display Port. Uh, I'm I'm pulling it up. Oh God, that thing! Right. Yes. Okay. Yeah, I don't like that. You it's, don't like it? It's not reversible. It it will be in version three. Well, where's version three? Uh, in some motherboards shipping now. Okay, but um, also, why computers. can't why can't it just be the size of the size of the USB? So here's the cool thing. This is why I, this is why I put it on because we you wanted to talk about USB cables. Well, no, because US... the point that I wanted to bring up is that because I rearranged my desk, I took everything apart. And I've got like a USB switcher so I can switch between two machines and stuff. And I discovered by the end of this that I had about eight extra USB cables. And all of them, and, and I like the thing that frustrates me is that it's very difficult. Like, I really like the idea that USB 3 stuff is USB 1 compatible, USB 2 compatible, whatever. But I can never remember like if this cable is the right speed for this thing. Well, I believe cables for one and two are the same. Um, uh, so yeah, I think you're right. But it gets weird with three because three adds like at least twice as many pins. Right. Um, but they all look weird. So Well, they've got the blue you, thing. And a lot of these USB hubs will also throw in LEDs that throw up blue light. It's like the worst <laughs> thing because it's like, as, as far as stuff that's going to keep you awake, blue light is the absolute worst. Yeah. Like, uh, so, and, and uh, you know, I, I'm in a studio apartment, so like I, and I go to bed and then there are all these blinking blue lights. I'm like, thanks. I know you're a USB three. This is like, you don't have to constantly provide, like I learned that you were a USB three port that one time and I've remembered it. So you don't have, it's like, uh, on airplanes, how they pay to light the no smoking sign. I'm like, you can put a sticker. <laughs> like there, mean, is, there are no planes that allow smoking on them anymore. You could put a sticker up there and it'd be cool. Yeah, like rip but out that, that one LED cable and put up a sticker, and there you go. You saved the electricity. Can you though? I mean, the FAA has regulations. Is that like a choice that airplane manufacturers can make at this point? I I think I was on one plane that was relatively new, and they just had it printed in. Um, okay. so it like didn't right. have to be lit. Uh, so yes, they can legally do it. They just haven't bothered. <laughs> I wonder how long they've been legally allowed to do it. Uh, that's probably yeah. a long time. Uh-huh. 
I mean, it's it's possible Maybe. that's not the case. Well, presumably they weren't using LEDs back when those planes were built. We were still riding around in planes that were built in the 20s, so... <laughs> Are we? Are yeah. we really riding around in planes yeah. built in the 20s? These are all manufactured by ye old Boeing. Ye old Boeing yep. of Seattle. <laughs> no, um, but, no, I mean, but they are old. <laughs> that, that's that's we... my point. Yes, they, they're all old. And nowadays you can charge your planes from USB cables, which we have plenty of extra oh, ones. Oh, I love around. that so much. Well, that's, that's one of the things that I, I really do love about USB is that everything is USB. Almost everything. Until Almost then... Everything. All this other stuff happens. And then there's the USB problem of USB type B, which is the square stupid thing that some devices are just like, we like that more. Some devices where it doesn't matter, like external hard drives, where there's a whole bunch of space. So it's not like, oh, well, we couldn't fit in something that was regular size, so we had to go with this square thing. It doesn't matter at all. Just use the just use the thing that everybody else uses. Um, that used to be the thing that everyone else used. Like everything used to be that type. The B. USB B. I know. Th- no, because it was the case that everyone had USB sticks, which were the Type A, the long. Well, right, you right. Know? So and you always like had you had, you had some things like printers. Back when printers were a thing, like yes, this is going to be Type B. Some external hard drives were Type B, um, but your USB readers. Your mouse and your keyboard, those were always just the regular USB that we're we're all very familiar with and comfortable with. Those being the most commonly used devices should have just been like, this is the standard. We're going to go with that. Well, but the the thing about like mice and flash drives and all that is that they are built into the device. You don't have like an extra cable that you run from your flash drive to your computer unless you have an extension cord. Right. Um. So are you saying you should put a mail jack on just everything and use extension cords? Is that what you're... What? No, 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 thinking? no, no. I'm just saying don't, ha- don't use USB Type-B. Right. But what I, what I was saying was that USB Type-B, it used to just be USB A and B. There was no smaller. Like, oh. back when it was originally invented. Oh, no, no, no. They... Like, you're talking like micro and mini now? Yes. Those I'm totally fine with. Um, I wish that all of the micro would switch to mini. Um, just do you mean mini uh, to micro? Mini to micro. Ah, this this is a thing about tech people. Um, naming things is not a skill that we have. And so okay. just to make it the thing. Um, no, I really like the very small USB cable. Um, the one that all phones except for iPhones charge off. Right. Um, which and well, and that's that's a remarkable thing in and of itself. You think back about like five years ago. Every phone had their own freaking charging adapter thing. And some of them still do. A lot of them will have that and then have a cable that goes to a USB. <laughs> yeah, even Apple has that. Apple's mandated to sell that in Europe because all phones are mandated to have micro USB. Why don't we have that here? That's brilliant. <laughs> can we do that? I, I, yes, we, we can do it. But, but here's, here's where I really struggle is that Micro USB isn't a reversible thing. Why yes. not? Why? That's why we have USB C. <sighs> USB. Wait. So USB C is which one is that? No, that's that really thin, terrible thing. 
It's not terrible. It's, not re- it's, it's the not future. It's not reversible either. Yes, it is. No, no. USB-C is totally reversible. No, it's you... not. I'm going gonna... I'm gonna to pull out a USB-C cable and prove you wrong. Because my Lacey drive has a USB-C. No, it doesn't. Yes, it does. And it looks like it does not. this. That is not USB-C. It that is, is micro USB 3.0. Seriously? That is micro USB 3.0. It is not 3.0. I, yes, it is. Um, that is a 3.0 cable. No, Kevin. this is a USB B. Yes. It's a 3.0 cable. It is a micro USB 3.0 cable. It's not 3, it is 2. Or maybe, okay, maybe it's a 3 cable that supports only 2 speed. Okay, look at the link I just sent you, and I'll put it in the show notes. All right. This is what the pinout of USB-C looks like. Also, why are you not using WikiWand? What? WikiWand? What, what is that? Um, the most awesome thing of all time. Um, so, <laughs> it's not better than USB-C. <laughs> yes, it is better than USB-C. Um, and I'll put that in the show notes as well. Man, we're going to have a lot of show notes. So WikiWand takes uh, Wikipedia and makes it not look crappy. <laughs> and you, you can have it as an extension and it'll just go ahead and convert anytime you go to a wikipedia article to this and it's amazing okay i'll have to install it installing it now good you should because it, it, it really does make everything really really much more navigable it even reloaded my oh my goodness this does look good right yes and like as okay. you scroll down the sidebar thing updates you know where and the thing you are it's just it's such a wonderful interface that i'm really and actually, if you hover over links, it'll pull up uh, the kind of the description That's summary. Nice. So you don't have to click this is through. Nice. You can get context. Why didn't I build this? Um, does it? Yeah, this is, I mean, it's just, it's awesome. Um, okay. WikiWand is the most amazing thing. It's of all still time. not better than USB-C. Um, I'm not sure. Okay. Okay, but, but here's USB-C? the thing, is that we've kind of settled now for phones and smaller, small-ish devices on this non-reversible USB. And no, we haven't. The, the mm. new Nexuses just came out with USB-C. Oh, did they really? Yes. The oh. whole industry is moving to USB-C. So, now, here's the thing, though, is that all of, like, and it, it was always a pain, like, whenever I traveled, because I realized, like, for something that is just plugs into a USB port or a power adapter, like, I've got a bunch of devices that just do, that, that just need a low-voltage power, and I have to bring, like, eight cables. And I've been really excited because since micro USB, uh, my Kindle, my phone, tablet, anything that I want or care about, it's like I can bring one cable or I can bring two if I want to charge two of them at a time. But usually I'm only use, actively using one and so I can just run off of a single cable, which is amazing. It's the greatest thing ever. So these devices have all started to converge. On USB-C. Why did they converge? No, 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 no. No, this is a new thing. USB-C is a new thing. The devices have finally started to converge, but they converged on this non-reversible thing, and now we've got to switch everything out all over again. They converge. can't... We need, like, some supreme dictator overlord say all of your cables are now invalid. Everything has to support this one now. Yes, that's what they're doing with USB-C. But it has to... But that's... Why was... why Why did we introduce... Micro USB and mini USB and USB B and C 
before figuring out, like, let's make it reversible. I don't think we ever introduced... I mean, we now have USB Type-C. We didn't used to have USB Type-C. Okay. But why do, why do we have all these variants? Because the, the thing is, when we had one type of USB, people were mad that it wasn't reversible because they broke all of their USB slots. Everybody <laughs> did this. And it was a big complaint. This has always been the complaint with USB. Yes, and now they fixed it. And we didn't fix it. And we came out with new versions of USB. And so everyone was using a different type of USB. And she could go, oh, it's a USB device. Great, I've got a USB cable. Except I don't have one of the six USB cables that it could be. And so I can't use this device. And and we finally started to bring that down to like, okay, it's going to be one of these two. And now... Like, why did they converge on a bad thing? Because it was the best at the time. And then why they realized... just make a new... They did. They've, they've now realized that USB, micro USB, is too slow and not reversible and too fragile. And they yep. came up with a thing called USB-C. Rumor is it that Apple actually developed it and wanted it widely adopted. So they pushed it, like, out to everyone and, like, didn't claim it. So that this um, is actually an Apple invention. Apple, Apple totally does that all the time. No, they, it's totally their thing. That is that is actually a prevailing rumor. Anyway, <laughs> the point of the matter is there is now an awesome new USB cable that is highly reversible, can deliver a hundred watts of power, and is pin is is compatible with Thunderbolt, so that way you can access a direct PCI high speed bus to your computer over this tiny reversible cable okay it does everything okay it's gonna still take a lot more than that to make me happy because the usb one the one complaint that everyone had and only now it's being addressed when was usb one i'm gonna look i don't know i've always had usb i don't remember not usb well there was a time before usb um, we were using, uh, I remember when computers only had one USB port. USB was decided in 1996, 19 years ago. Okay. So, uh, remember when we were predicting, uh, what the future would look like in 20 years <laughs> in 1996, you said to someone look at this USB cable, imagine what the future is like in 20 is in 20 years. Could you possibly imagine them saying, I think we might start thinking about, Fixing the problem where you shoved your USB stick in and it breaks the thing. I think we might consider fixing that in 20 years. 